Welcome to Define You Radio, the place to be for real talk and real tips to help you define your personal and professional life. Class is in session with your host, the Southern Belle of Bold, Valencia Griffin-Wallace. Pens and papers ready. Class is now in session. Hey, kings and queens. It's your girl, Valencia Griffin-Wallace, and welcome to episode 214. Class is in session today with Marlo the Poet Miller. To tell you a little bit about Marlo, she is a mother, grandmother, an author, and a survivor of domestic violence. She is going to share with us how she overcame domestic violence, how it changed her life, but most of all, us paying attention to the warding signs in the healing process afterwards. Today's episode is sponsored by The Move Retreat, because queens need a break too. You can find out more at ValenciaGWallace.com slash events. With that being said, pens and papers ready. Class is now in session. Let's go ahead and welcome Marlo to the show. Hey, Marlo. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. I am We've been trying to schedule this for a while, so I know yes, it's going to be a dynamic show. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead and tell the audience a little bit about you. Why don't you go ahead and fill in the blanks a little bit? Okay. Um, my name is Marlo Miller. Um, everybody puts the poet in the middle of it because I I write poetry. I wrote a poetry book, and I do um, speaking engagements on um, poetry. I'm a mother of two kids. I have two grandbabies and one on the way. In between, I just try to help my community out as best as I possibly can. You do a whole lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do a lot. I try to stay busy. You know, I get bored kind of easy, so I, I just try to stay busy as much as I possibly can. I know, I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Yeah. I I tend to use my free time or my downtime to take naps. And I <laughs> wish I need to get in somebody's sleep study or something because if you can make money, you know, by sleeping, you know, it's a perfect yeah. world for me. That's just my, oh God, my yeah. thoughts. <laughs> so I know I've always seen you and, and followed you and known you as Marlo the Poet Miller. So let's touch on that a little bit, because I do know you write poetry. Is your poetry about domestic violence, or is it about anything? It's just about anything, but I do I do have um, some poems that are related to domestic violence. But normally, um, people will give me a topic to write on for like um, an event that they're having, and then I will normally write my, my poetry around that event. Mm. That's good. That's good. Yes, ma'am. And I know you actually wrote a piece. Um, not was it last year, a year before last, I think, for an event I had. How did you find yourself in a domestic violence situation? I ended up marrying the wrong man, thinking God sent him to me. Really, the devil in disguise placing him in my life. So, and I, and I tell people I met him in the wrong place. You never can meet your lifetime partner 
in the parking lot of a nightclub. So y'all met in the parking lot. Did he put on a good guy front or how did the relationship progress from the parking lot till (laughs) before the domestic violence began? Oh, he was a charmer. I mean, he said all the right things. He did all the right things. It's like he would just melt your heart. And um, we had one incident that happened before we actually got married. And it should have been a warning sign to me. But it actually got physical at one point before we got married. And I ended up having to go to the hospital because I had a concussion. Uh, my lip was swollen. My hand was um, all bruised up and everything. I mean, he was banging my head against the floor and everything like that. And he actually got sent to jail for that. But in the process, we kept communicating and everything like that. He was one of those um, seasonal people mm. that I tried to turn into a lifetime person. And it just did not work. How long were y'all dating before the first incident? Seven months. Yeah. we It wasn't like really long, but we were dating. And then, you know, he, of course, went to jail for the incident. Not because of what he had actually did to me at first. He had warrants and everything. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, when they go to jail, they find Jesus, you know, and religious. And so when he got out, you know, he was like, he's a changed man. He went to church. He got baptized. I mean, he was doing everything that I could possibly want him to do. But once he put that ring on my finger, Dr. Jekyll came out. So yeah. how, So let me ask you this. Between, yes. was he in jail for like a couple of months, a year? Like how long was um, he, he was in for? He was in for just a short period of time. It wasn't a year. I believe it was just a couple of months that he was in there for. Okay, so you thinking yeah. he gets out, you think he's changed. Yes. You go ahead and say I do. Then, oh, then yes. what? Cheating began, um, the verbal abuse began, then the physical abuse began, and it just was on and on until I just woke up one day and I just basically was just like, you know what, enough is enough. I can't even do it no more. And it was funny how it actually ended. I tell people it's so funny because they laugh when I tell them the story because he was sitting on the bed um, putting his shoes on. And I was just like, well, where are you going? And he was just like, well, I'm going to go buy a car. And I'm like, you're going to go buy a car? We got bills to pay. So I, thinking, you know, I'm really bad booty. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I said, well, if you leave, I'm going to pack up all your stuff and you're not going to have to come back. So I was waiting for the blow or whatever, but he was just like, oh, go ahead, pack my stuff. I can go back to my mama's house. Hmm. I was just like, what? And he said, pack my stuff. I can go back to my mama's house. So I said, oh, okay. I got those famous black trash bags, you know, the hefty kind. <laughs> you know, I packed up everything that belongs to him. I even packed the lint that was in the drawer because I wanted to make sure he didn't leave nothing behind. Hmm. And I sat and I waited and waited. and I. I think he actually thought that if if he didn't come back, I was going to change my mind. Mm-hmm. So I called him on the phone like a couple of hours later and I was like, well, where are you at? And he said, I'm at my brother's house. 
I was just like, oh, okay, well, I'll be there in just a few minutes. I took his stuff, I placed it on the sidewalk, and I drove off. And I came inside the my house. It was like peace fell upon me. Mm. My house was just like peaceful. How long was the time period between when y'all met and when it ended? We were actually married for nine years. But seven of them, we didn't live together. So for two okay. years, yeah, so for two years, it, it actually went on for two years. Is that um, the father of your children? No. So was this was this your first time being in a domestic violence situation? No. I tell people, and this is this is the sad part about my um, my story, is that I am forty seven years old and I have never had a healthy relationship in my whole entire life. Mm. Never. If if a good man walk in the door, I tell people right now, I probably wouldn't even know how to act because I'm not used to a good man. Well, you know what a bad man is, so it just yes, opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but it, but what would scare me the most is that he was a good man. So it's like I would be right. waiting for like okay, the you know, any two. minute now you're about to change up. Yeah, you know, like okay, because you know they always start off so good. But then they flip-flop once they know that they actually got you, got you. That's the scary part about it. So you think if at this point you don't trust your own judgment or? Uh, no, I don't. What I love, I love hard. Yeah. And, I, and I tend to lose myself in that person. And right now I'm trying to find out who I am and what I, what I enjoy doing and what I like to do. So it's like, I don't want to give myself to somebody and then lose myself to them. Well, when you, when you think back mm-hmm. to, to your first boyfriend or your, your first relationship, roughly how old were you? And was that a domestic violence situation as well? No, it wasn't a domestic violence, but it wasn't healthy either because he was a cheater. So did your kids see mm-hmm. domestic violence? Yes, my kids did. My daughter um, has a tendency to want to hit on her boyfriends because she tells me that she would rather hit them before they hit her. And yes. what, do you, what do you say in response to that? I say, girl, that is five to ten in state ten. Mm. Keep your hands off of people's children. Yeah. Yeah, because my hus- my ex-husband, his mother, actually died of domestic violence. Hmm. So I used to tell him all the time, if you saw your mother die of domestic violence, why would you want to put your hands on somebody else's child? And what, what would he say? He, he couldn't come up with no good answer. Nothing at all. Did you see domestic violence growing up? No, I think more like verbal. I don't remember like physical or nothing, but I know that my mom and dad, you know, they used to argue all the time. Was it abusive language being used? You know, like yes, yeah. I think that yeah. that part. Um, because when I think back to you know, mm-hmm. in in my in my mind, um, things I remember from being younger, I remember. My mama was a was a fighter, you know, which mm-hmm. explains me. I remember the abusive language 
mm-hmm. from my stepdad to her. And I do remember, you know, maybe one or two fights that, that I mm-hmm. like witnessed, but because of, you know, how I am and, you know, a child is always very protective of their parents, you know, I would, yeah. you know, try to fight him you know, at mm-hmm. a very early age, you know, because um, mm-hmm. me and him didn't get along anyway. So, mm-hmm. but I wasn't, like, I knew, you know, like my aunts or different women, I knew that were in abusive relationships. So I was always that woman to say, it'll never be me, you know, and then I was a fighter. Like, you know, that's my past. If anybody has read Motherless Child, you kind of already know the history <laughs> here, but um yeah. <laughs> When I found, I was in my early 20s, and it was a very quick relationship um, before the marriage, but it was it was signs there, a little, the possessiveness, but there was never any abuse of language. So when I married this dude, um, and I always tell people, this is a marriage I don't count. I always refer to it that way. Um, yeah. And the, the ink wasn't dry good on the marriage license. And when we, you know, when we went out one night, something, he was drunk, he got, he hit me. And I was like, he has lost his mind. Cause I had never been hit. I didn't even get whippings growing up. Um, mm-hmm. And I lost my mind. And meaning, you know, like we were going at it like two dudes in the street. But it was because of that, and then, you know, it became a regular thing. He would, you know, get drunk, and for whatever reason, you know, that possessiveness I thought was cute before became, you know, really crazy, psychotic mm-hmm. jealousy. Um, but because I would always fight back, I had a hard time accepting that it was domestic violence. hmm even though, you know, because I'm I would give him a run for his money. Okay, I will say that. But <laughs> the one thing I learned, um, nine times out of ten, a woman is never going to whip a man. If the yeah, if the man true. if the man is fighting you like you're another man in the street and you mm-hmm. you know, it, it doesn't matter how, you know, I'm sure well maybe your strength has something to do with it. I don't know, but I mean I would we would go and um i would be the one ended up with you know a black eye and and different things like that and it was it was very crazy mm-hmm. but i said when i think about that relationship i said that was that taught me because before that i'm not gonna lie i had no sympathy for people in domestic violence relationships yeah because i always thought you know that's stupid you know and you know and it took that one relationship for me to see that it's more than, you know, the physical part. It's like a whole psychological mind game that happens with that. Yeah. Even though that relationship and marriage was a, was a short time, it took years for me to bounce back mentally because what a lot of people don't talk about maybe more now than they used to, there is, some PTSD that comes with dealing with domestic violence. Oh, yes, definitely. How do you think you would be different if you never had a domestic violence relationship? 
like when you're born, everything is written already in your book of life. So it's like, you know, when God wrote my book of life, he knew that on that day, this man was going to hit me, you know, and this man was going to do that to me. So I say that it, it made me who I am today. It made me, you know, a stronger person. It made me want to be an advocate for women and say, you know what? I've been there. I know what you're going through. Because, see, I was like you. You know, I used to always say, well, why don't you stay? But then when it right. got to me and people used to say, well, why did you stay? And I wanted to say, well, I tell people, why do you ask us why we stay? Why don't you ask the men why they put their hands on us? Right. So I, I was like you. I never had, I didn't have sympathy because I used to be like, well, why would you stay? Why don't you just get up and leave? Or some but hot then, grits. <laughs> that's it. That's it. But it takes a woman seven times to be abused before she'll leave. Mm. You know, before you wake up that one day and you say, you know what? I'm, I'm worth more than this. I'm worth more than being a punching bag. You know, I'm worth more than having to cover up my, my scars with these long sleeves or having to wear extra makeup to cover up this black eye. See, like I have a messed up foot. My husband messed my foot up and I love to wear high heels. Me and high heels used to be best friends, but now we're not so good friends because I can only wear them for so long before I start to lean with it, rock with it because my foot will hurt. But I love it and I torture myself, but my husband messed my foot up. And I never went to the hospital because I didn't want to get questions. So it's like I walk around now with a hurt foot where I can't wear my nice shoes that I love so much that I just look at all the time in the closet. How long mm-hmm. ago was this? Oh, Lord. Our divorce was actually finalized, I believe, in January 2016. And when did y'all separate? Yeah. I believe it was in 2005, 2004. Mm. That we met. Uh-huh. Yes. Did but you see, he came back to me years later and he apologized. Hmm. And I accepted his apology because I told him, I said, because on judgment day, you have to stand before God and answer when he asks you, what did you do with the life that I gave you? Not me. Hmm. And then it's like, if I don't forgive him, I still give him power over me. Because he's out there smiling and living it up and having a good life and he's remarried. So if I don't forgive him, I'm just going to sit over here and dwell in my own self-pity. Right. Yeah. So I, could, I, I couldn't give him power over me no more. So I forgave him. It's all good. I don't even know what to say. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I've, you know, forgiven my mm-hmm. ex, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't, I also don't have to, to see him uh, or yeah. deal with him. And this was, you know, like I'm in my forties and this was in my early twenties. And I remember mm-hmm. um, maybe what year is this? 2019. So maybe like two mm-hmm. years, 2016, give or take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he made a comment. It, it was like this whole thing. He reached out on Facebook and made a comment and I instantly like went in a different pace, different, different place, different space. <laughs> and I blocked him, um, reported him, all kind of stuff. And uh-huh. um it, it was crazy because I, you know, forgive him because I know he has to live yeah. his own hell. I do believe mm-hmm. that. Um yes. and my forgiveness extends to the fact that I can act like you no longer exist. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to everybody has to deal with that um, in their own own way. When anytime yeah. it comes to, to forgiving anybody, period. And for oh, me, yeah. it was just like, like I said, because like the 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 aftershocks of the relationship to where I had a, developed a fear of anybody that was t- tall and slim and dark skinned with braids. Um, mm-hmm. to where I would immediately have an anxiety attack and nightmares and all of those things. So long after the relationship was over, I was still being affected with that, with the aftershocks of it. Oh yeah. And that was like, I mean, it, I'm like, it would almost been easier just to scar him for some hot grits, put him in a wheelchair or something, <laughs> you know, it was <laughs> Yeah, you know, but um, one mm-hmm. of the things I could say about Louisiana, because I did call the police several times, and Louisiana mm-hmm. is a um, I can't think of what you call it, but Louisiana will pick up like you don't have to press charges; the state will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know I'm not gonna say where you are. That's up to you. But in your yeah. state, do they do that? Will the state automatically press charges if you call the police out? I'm not sure about that. Um, um, now, I do know that I went and I got a protection order against him because when we separated, he would call and threaten me at night, you know, threaten to burn the house down with me and my kids, threaten to have somebody come beat me up. And so when I called the police, you know, their thing was because I've noticed, too, that police really don't like to get involved in domestic violence disputes mm. at all because they don't like the paperwork. They've even said that, you know, um, like, oh, well, we'll go to court on this and they'll come in holding hands. And you know what I'm saying? So to them, it's like a waste of time. Um, so when I actually called them out, they were telling me that because we were still married at the time, if he came over, I actually had to let him in the house because we were still married. Because mm, you yeah. didn't have another protection order. Mm-mm. So I went the next day and got one because I was like, what kind of mess is that? Yeah. Like, I'm looking at them like, y'all really trying to get me killed. And you didn't have him on, uh, well, they, they, did they have police reports before that? But still, if, I under, like, I understand what you're saying. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. if y'all were married, that is true. Yeah. To, to my mm-hmm. knowledge. That's what they're saying. Yeah. And that's I, crazy. So when we kind of go back and talk about the signs. If, if a young woman, and it don't matter your age, you're still a young queen, mm-hmm. is listening, mm-hmm. um, what are one or two of the signs that should be a, a trigger that, hey, something not right with this dude or this woman? Mm-hmm. Oh, God, Jesus, there's so many. Especially, like, especially if he wants to, like, um, isolate you. You know, like from your friends and family, you know, um, if he wants to have um, control, you know, like over who you talk to, where you go, um, you know, what you wear, you know, stuff like that. Definitely, definitely look for that. Yes. And I was like, mm-hmm. no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. No, I was going to say also. Um, watch for those little attitude changes that may not be always noticeable, 
like how yeah. they are when you're around other people other people because if if they go from zero to 100 with the waitress or other people then yes. that to me that's definitely a sign that they may have some uh anger issues or whatever yes mm-hmm. jealousy you know i mean it's it, it it's a lot you know i mean it is like a lot mm. But I always tell people, you know what I'm saying? I don't judge people. Right. Um, I tell people, you know, if, if if you leave and you go back, I'm not going to stop being your friend. I'm not going to stop not being here for you, you know, because I've been there and I've done it. So I let people know that, that you know, I'm here. And whenever you, you know what I'm saying, are ready to leave, because only, only you know when you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right. Then, then I'm gonna be there with you. And if I gotta pick you up eight times before you make make up your mind on that last time that you're actually gonna leave, I'm gonna pick you up every time that you call me. Mm. Did you mm-hmm. ever go to like the battered women's shelter or something like that to get counseling, or have you never no. done that? No, I went to. Um, I've been to um, counseling. Um, but it's like, I'll, I'll start to go. And then I just stop going. Mm. And it's like, I'll start to go. And then I stop going. So I think there's like still some part of me that needs to be healed from it. Cause yeah. I'm not all the way healed from it, but I don't know. I've always make, I always make excuses when it comes to me. Cause I'm always trying to help everybody else. You know, it'll all come together. Yeah. Um, and I'm gonna yeah. tell you one of the things that I've learned because before before I left, I started mm-hmm. going to the to the battered women's shelter for like their group uh, mm-hmm. counseling therapy thing, just to sit in there and listen, um, mm-hmm. because I felt like it was a safe place. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever shared what was going on, but I did, you know, go and listen to the other mm-hmm, lady stories mm-hmm. and that helped me um and then also learned about making making a plan to leave and this is one of the things i would advise you know the people that's in that situation is sometimes the most dangerous time is when you leave mm-hmm. um so when i say make a plan to leave and this is what i did like i put uh, me and my son's birth certificates, important information, stuff like that, a set of clothes, all of that kind of stuff at my sister's house. So if you, you know, so that way, if something, when that time came that I knew I had to go, I didn't Mm -hmm. have to worry about grabbing anything. Um, Yes. One of the things I did as well, I knew was important was having it on paper, meaning, you know, yeah, I called the police, so don't, you know, all of that, don't call the police on your man, keep the police out your business. I don't believe in none of that because I believe when it comes to defending your your life, um, it's yes. always good to have paper backing yourself up because you don't know what may happen. So being that I had the police reports and then even with the protection orders, it's, it's paper. And yep. a lot of times the other person, you know, a man to tell you or whoever, you know, that's paper. That don't mean nothing. But at the end of the day, it's to back you up. I always say that, like 
God yes. forbid, if yes. anything would have had to happen, I was yep. backed up by my police reports and the protection orders. Um, and notice I, I'm mm-hmm. putting S's on those because, yes, there was times, there was a lot of back and forth with both of those. Um, yes. Before the final, like, I'm done because I'm going to have to really hurt this dude who's going to take care of my kids. <laughs> and that, that yeah. was like the, the thing that last time that I knew the next time somebody was going to die. It was more, my greatest concern was who was going to raise my son. Mm. And he was like, I don't know, two, three, somewhere up in there. So he had like a whole lot of time he needed his mama for. And I didn't want my decisions to affect the rest of his life like that. So I knew, you know, I knew I... it had to change, but it did make me scared of getting in another relationship just because of how quick it changed. Like literally it went from zero to 60. It's a constant healing process. If I said that correctly, but you know, (laughs) like you're going to always, I don't want to say always be healing, but it's kind of like, with somebody dying um like you're not going to go from zero to everything's okay the next day or the next year it's something you're constantly healing from more and more each day but i think with domestic violence it affects you so much it's kind of like that scar like you don't think about the scar until you look at it but you know it's still a scar so it's you know it's like evidence or residue or something. I I know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so okay. let's talk about your, your kids. I know you kind of touched on your daughter and, yes. but let's talk about your son because when we talk about obstacles, you face an obstacle as far as dealing with your son. So what was the obstacle you had to deal with with him? I had to, um, let's see, sometimes it's hard for me to talk about, but um, he graduated in June 2009. In July of 2009, he got arrested and locked up on capital murder charges. And he was locked up for two years. So he was found not guilty? Yes. What What had happened was his grandmother on his father's side and his uncle had plotted to kill his step-grandfather, and um, the the week that it happened, something was telling me, you know, because I kept saying, are you sure you want to go, you know, you don't want to stay at home, you know, with your mom and stuff, he's like, no, I want to go, I want to go, and I said, okay, I said, don't let nothing happen to where the police have to come and have to come and get you, and he left, and when he came back, I knew something was off because him and his friend were just, they were just arguing too much. You know, and I was just like, what's wrong with y'all? You know, why are y'all arguing? And I left on a Tuesday to go to my mom's house, and I hadn't heard from him all day. I was just like, God, that is strange. And then his uncle called, and he was just like, hey, you know, have you heard from from your son? And I was just like, no, I ain't heard from him. And he was just like, okay, well, when you see him, tell him to call me, but don't call me on his phone. I was just like, "Mm, okay, then. Got back home, and I'm waiting and waiting. It was about like 9 o'clock. He had called and he was just like, Mama, they got me. 
And I was just like, who got you? He said, the police. I'm thinking, Lord, this boy done got caught selling drugs, you know. So I'm grabbing my purse, you know. I'm trying to head out the door. I'm thinking, which bell bonds am I going to call? All kind of stuff. And I said, well, what they got you for? And he said, capital murder. Mm. And I just fell to the ground. I couldn't even, my friend had to pick up the phone. I couldn't, I couldn't even function. I mean, it was just like, you know what I'm saying? Like when you go from um, seeing your kid every day. Yeah. To having to share 30 minutes with your mom, your dad, um, his friends, um, his sister, my grandmother, you know, it's hard, you know, especially like when you just got letters and you got phone calls and stuff. So it was like really, really hard on me. Like for those two years, I just, oh God, I mean, I fasted and I prayed so hard in those two years. Well, it, it was just unbelievable. And so after, you know, um, he actually had to testify against his grandmother. And because I told him, I said, you know, I said, now, if you didn't have nothing to do with it, you better sing like a canary. I mean, you better tell. Because he got arrested on Tuesday. And on that Friday, he was supposed to go sign with the minor leagues. Baseball. My dad had it all set up and everything. And um, he told me he didn't have nothing to do with it. And blah, blah, blah. So, and I told him, I said, I don't care if somebody calls you a snitch or whatever, but you better tell. And he told what happened. And his grandmother ended up getting life in prison. And on the day that him and his friend got released, the district attorney said, I've never let nobody go home on a capital murder charge. Mm. Never said bail, nothing. Yeah. But when we left the courthouse that day, we actually had to have law enforcement follow us all the way to the hotel where my mom and dad was staying at and they actually had to follow us all the way out of town it was a hard time what what did he learn or what did he do with basically almost like a second chance he doesn't really talk about it you know i try to get him to share his testimony and i guess like through me i share his testimony i figured one day I, I figure one day God's going to let him open up his mouth and actually share his testimony with kids and other people and let them know. But right now, um, he doesn't talk about it. He won't talk about it. Um, he doesn't share any of that part of his life with me or anybody else. It's just he says that he's uh, forgiven them. Um, in order for him to get to heaven, he has to forgive them. Um, him and his dad, they now have a you know have a relationship. Um, because at the time, his dad kind of, you know, he was his dad was there more for his mom and his brother than he was for my for my son. Mm-hmm. But you know, after he heard him testify, it kind of all came together. So they're they're building a relationship now. Yeah. So um, he's a little bit more forgiving on that part than I am. I'm trying to forgive. Right. You know. You know. So, but he did. He he like I said, he just doesn't talk about it. I try not to press him about it. Yeah. So I figure one day when he's ready and something happens to make him want to talk about it, then, you know, he'll he'll have an awesome, awesome testimony. I could could only imagine, you know, being a mom. And like you said, going from seeing your child every day to, you know, 30 minutes. Yes. And then when they actually moved him, because they kept moving him from jail to jail and when they actually moved him all the way to like Monroeville you know it was it was just too hard for me to go and see him I'll, you know what I'm saying it's like it was so far 
they, it was just hard. And, you know, I could only go so often. But, you know, I thank God for my mom and my dad, you know, because if not, then oh, my poor baby probably would have starved because I, <laughs> I was only making so much, couldn't put a lot on the books and stuff. But right. my dad made sure that I'm talking about every week he had money on the phone, money on his books. You know, they went up there every weekend to see him. My daddy was on them like a pit bull. I mm. mean, yeah. So, yeah, my daddy stayed on them constantly. And that's that's crazy. Basically, he sat in jail for two years for something he had nothing to do with. Nothing. Nothing at all. Just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Right. Trouble is easy to get into, but hard yeah. to get out of. Just like marriage. Yes. I say that when especially you know kind of you know going back to our domestic violence marriages easy it's easy to get married but them divorces you see how long it took me to get mine (laughs) seven years (laughs) like seven long years it took (sighs) How, how I can't think of how long I think it, it definitely took longer than the actual marriage lasted it was crazy um, mm-hmm. so That's I'm saying it. they need to make some laws as far as with that part yes so they sure do Marlo the poet Miller yes. when did you start when did you start and what made you start writing poetry um I th- started writing poetry um, in 2014. I had a um, lady that was at my church and she told me, she said, Marlo, I do not think you know what you are worth. You are constantly giving, 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 and you never receive anything. So I want you to go home. I want you to look in the mirror and I want you to write me a poem. And I want you to tell me what you see, you know, uh, about the woman looking back at you. So my first poem I ever wrote was um, The Woman in the Mirror. And then after I wrote that, I sat down and something just caught caught me and made me write this poem entitled, um, Do I Qualify to Be Called a Woman of God? Mm. And I went and I read that poem um, at one women's brunch. And when I wrote that one poem, it just, it took off. I mean, and that's how everybody knows me. People tell me all the time that that poem should be like worldwide. Everybody should hear that poem. And um, so after that, I started getting people saying, hey, can you write a poem for this? And hey, can you write a poem for that? And then I would sit down, you know, and I would just write poems on different things and everything. And then I would go read them at, at these women's brunches. And, it, and that's just how it manifested. Hmm. I can, I could write anything mm-hmm. um but with with poems and poetry because I think I'm very <laughs> I think I'm too uh analytic right and I overthink it a little mm-hmm. bit my mom wrote mm-hmm. poems and um mm-hmm. but I'm like okay with a poem you know you can't have you know, you got to think about like your sentence structure. Is it going to rhyme? Is it not going to rhyme? How many, you know, lines and those things where I find more mm-hmm. freedom in just writing, writing. But it's very, mm-hmm. points are very interesting. And I remember, you know, in school learning the different kinds of points and 
all of those things. And I wish I could write poems because back in the day, I wanted to be a rapper. But I can't, <laughs> you know, I can't. I'm like, you have to really be able to be kind of clear and to the point with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So that in itself is is awesome. So why do you continue after, you know, all this time and, you know, you, you're still learning and you're still growing. Why do you mm-hmm. continue to even tell your story of domestic violence instead of leaving that in the past and just leaving it in the past? If I can share my, my testimony, if I can write a poem about it or if I can go and speak on it and I can just touch one person, then I think that I've, I've, I've done my duty. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's like it's like I want to if I can inspire at least one person out of my whole entire life, whether it's like with my poetry, me talking about domestic violence or anything, and somebody can come up to me and say, you know what, because of you, I didn't give up. Yeah. My, my then I think I would be like complete. I think that would just be like the 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 ah uh, the aha moment. Mm. And it, it probably also helps you heal. It's like one of those things that, you know, you talk about and nobody would, you know, look at you if anybody follows you on social media and be like, yeah, she's a victim of domestic violence or a survivor of domestic mm-hmm. violence or anything. So I think you sharing your story on on the other side, so to speak, definitely helps women that have you know in it before Mm -hmm. they go into it or you know never whatever just puts a different face on it what I found is like when I do happen to talk about it because it's not something I talk about a lot for for somebody to hear that I was you know in a domestic violence relationship it's like what no you can't pick out somebody because of how they look or how they act and say what what situation may or may not happen to them. So I think that's great mm-hmm. that you that you share it and you let people inside your world because that takes a lot of guts. People don't realize that. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. Because we're because well, we're constantly getting judged. Yeah. When you think about your life thus far and, and your ultimate mm-hmm. goal in life, what would you have accomplished by May 2021? Um, I would have written the, let's see, two more of my poetry books, my autobiography, and I would have showcased my fashion show in New York City. Love it. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you said it on the show. So like now it's like permanently <laughs> out there. So if somebody is listening to the show in May 2021. Y'all check up on her. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Marlo, you are such a, a dynamic woman with such a sweet disposition. And, you know, I'm glad definitely to, to be connected with you. And I know how to get in touch with you in more than one way. But yes, ma'am. When, when the audience 
wants to follow you, get in touch with you, find out a little bit more about you and your world, how would they do that? Mm, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's all the same. Marlo D. Poet Miller. <laughs> Marlo the Poet Miller. And of course, her information will be posted on Define You Radio's Facebook page and Instagram as well. So with that being said, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yay, pens and papers down. <laughs> Class is officially over. Make sure you connect with our guests and our show at the Define You on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, remember your past doesn't define you. It gives you definition. And what you do with that is up to you. Thank you for listening. Connect with the show at the Define You Facebook. Until next time, remember your past doesn't define you. It gives you definition and what you do with that is up to you.